Thank you so much to the worship team for blessing us uh, this morning with um, your musical gifts and for that song selection. I think um, goes right hand in hand along with uh, the passage that we're in today, Colossians chapter three, verses one to four. Um, it was almost like you knew I was going to preach there before you planned the service, Matt. So. Very good. Some of the scriptures that come through um, in the lyrics of the songs will come through in the sermon today. So I'm very thankful to, to you guys. Thank you for leading us in worship this morning. Turn with me, if you would, to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. I've got a long title this morning. I'm going to ask Jonathan if he was able to fit it on the, on the thumbnail. Yes, good, good. It was so long, he, he chastised me like... This title is too long. It's not going to fit on the thumbnail. And, uh, so, but it's going to fit, apparently. So thanks, Jonathan. You worked your magic. Let's read that together. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. So the verses that we're studying today are the last of the explicitly theological portion of Colossians. Um, After these verses, Paul gets really practical. Children's church? Is it time for children's church? Yes, we'll let them go be dismissed. Have fun. Just two? Three? Four? Five? All right. So, sorry about that. I should have, I should have told you that when I first got up here. I'm still learning, I know. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. How long have I been here? Children's church? Yes. So, this is the, the, after these verses today, and starting sort of in these verses today, Paul gets very practical. So, what is, what's starting to come today in this letter of Colossians is the so what portion of the letter. So, you recall that Paul has a pattern that he uses in his epistles where he includes sort of deep theological material to instruct, to challenge, to convict, to confirm, etc., the way that his disciples think and the things that they believe. But he's also very concerned with how the disciples live. And in Colossians, Paul has spent a great deal of time discussing the beliefs of the Christians in that church, what they ought to believe, primarily about Jesus. It's heavy. If you're a theologian, it's, it's heavy in Christology, Colossians is. The theology of Jesus Christ, who he is, what his work is. So now, though, Paul is moving on to the day-to-day implications of their beliefs. And in light of these things you believe, then how should you live is what's beginning to happen here. And so I've entitled today's message, The Glorious Death of Sin, Part 1. And it's a four-part series. Um, Don't worry, it's not all on verses 1 through 4, the four-part series. So, um, Because to summarize all of chapter 3, it's really about the death of of the sinful old life and the resurrected new life that Christians can enjoy. That's what Colossians 3 is all about. 
And so today we'll cover just the first four verses of chapter 3. And in the weeks to come, when I have opportunity to preach again, we'll complete uh, the next, of, next three of the, the four-part series. So the next one will be verses 5 to 11, part 2, and it will deal with those things that need to die in the process of our sanctification. And then the third installment will be verses 12 to 17, and it's going to deal with those things that need to come alive and need to grow in the process of our sanctification. And finally, the fourth will be verses 3.18 to 4.1, and it's going to deal with those things that, I'm sorry, it's going to discuss the relational ramifications of this new resurrected life that we have in Christ. So that's the rough outline for the future weeks ahead. And again, I'm not coming next week because I'll be on the missions trip, but weeks in advance, we'll get back into these. So here's what we're going to do today. If you're a note taker, you like it when I do this, so you can get a quick outline of what we're going to do. We're just going to go through these first four verses. And the first thing we're going to do is look back and quickly review to see how Paul got to where we are today. The second thing we're going to look at is four new spiritual realities that we live in as a result of being in Christ. And here they are, real quickly. Uh, As part of our being in Christ, we have four new realities. And the first one is this, we have a new quest. The second one is this, we have a new home. Thirdly, we have a new mind. And fourth, we have a new life. And after we go through all these, we're going to conclude our time together looking ahead to the future glory that awaits those of us who are in Christ So let me dig in, but before I do that, let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your word in Colossians. I thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for your servant Paul, who so faithfully ministered and shared your truth. He endured so much hardship and so much persecution and so much... um, uh, he, He went without so much, Lord Jesus, so that the message of the gospel could spread. And we're indebted to him, Father, for the, the, the depth of theology that we have in uh, your word, because he wrote so much of it. I thank you, Father, for what he did in addressing the Colossians. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for what he uh, brings us in these verses today. And I pray, Lord, you would just speak through your word in this time together and speak through me as I share it. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, that your spirit would do a work in our hearts to convince us of the truth of your word and to, um, and to heighten its value in our own minds. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 1, looking back. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, is how it starts. And so whenever you see the word therefore, you're supposed to do what? You're supposed to pause and see what it's Therefore, right? Yeah. So this is a timeless hermeneutical principle. If you see the word therefore, you look. What's it there for? And this isn't the first time that we've uh, read in Colossians about the Colossians being raised up with Christ. You recall back when we were in two verses, chapter uh, 2, verses 12 to 13, where he says, We have been buried with him in baptism in which you were raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. But before one can be resurrected, one must die. And Paul mentions this death in in verse 3. For you have died, he says. What Paul is alluding to in 
these phrases, back in chapter 2 and here in verse 3, he's speaking again of their dying with Christ and their resurrection with Him. It's the same thing he was talking about when he discussed their burial and being raised, pictured in their baptisms. The baptism was a physical, symbolic act that portrayed the spiritual reality of their union with Christ in His death and resurrection. This union with Christ occurred by faith in the work of God in Christ. And when the Colossians heard the gospel message of Jesus' death, His burial, His resurrection, and they placed their trust in Him as the Lord to save them, they were spiritually resurrected. They received new life. This was their conversion. This is what he's talking about here in verse 1. Their conversion. But let's look back a little bit more at the immediate context of chapter 2. So, if you recall our last time together in Colossians, we discussed what theologians call the Colossian heresy. And it was that set of teachings that was threatening the young church there in Colossae. Uh, they were str- it was tempting them to stray from their pure faith in Jesus. And remember, there were four aspects to that teaching. Do you recall? There was a philosophical aspect. There was a, a legalistic aspect. There was a mystical aspect. And there was also an ascetic aspect. And that asceticism, or a harsh treatment of the body. Paul dealt with those in the, in the, in the verses immediately preceding where we're at today. He was reminding them that when they were raised up with Christ, that they had died to these things. Colossians 2.20 says, If you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to them? And the focuses of these false teachers, Paul says in verse 23, were of no value against fleshly indulgence. So, Paul in writing to this audience here in Colossians is concerned in these next verses about that which is valuable for overcoming fleshly indulgence. In a parallel passage in Romans chapter 6 verses 3 to 7, he says something very similar. It says, "Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been baptized or we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life." For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. And here's the the, the critical part. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. So this is the same thing Paul is saying to the Colossians. And with that final condemnation of the false teaching that it has no power to overcome sinful self-indulgence or fleshly indulgence, Paul now moves on here in chapter 3 to describe the thing that is of value in overcoming sinful fleshly indulgence. Chapter 3 is a chapter about overcoming. It's a chapter about living the new life and killing the twitching carcass of the old life with its remaining desire to indulge the flesh, the sin nature. And he begins this encouragement that they can overcome by pointing out four new spiritual realities of their new resurrected life. And here they are. The first one is our new quest. The Colossians have a new quest 
verse 1, he says, keep seeking the things above. The word for seeking there is in the, the present tense. So that's why the English, it says, keep seeking, right? This is supposed to be our continuous, ongoing reality to seek the things above. We should be preoccupied with eternal reality. Those realities that belong to Christ. Those realities that belong to us in Christ and through Christ. We're to be preoccupied with them. The word seek can also mean desire or aim for. It can mean to crave or demand. The sense is our attitude should be to settle for nothing less than the things above. Because because of our union with Christ, we should have a new desire or new longings for the things that are above this world. Matthew 6.33, which we just sang, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 7, 7 7-8 says this, we just sang that, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. The same word in the Greek version of the Old Testament is used in Jeremiah 29.13 where he says, You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. This is what Paul is saying. Seek, keep seeking the things above. We seek to understand and become informed about things that interest us, don't we? Those are the things that we seek out. Things that that pique our curiosity, the things that excite us, these are the things that we seek out and that we desire. I remember when I was a kid watching the Indiana Jones movies. You guys ever watch the Indiana Jones movies? I always loved them. At least I liked Raiders of the Lost Ark and The Last Crusade. I wasn't a big fan of The Temple of Doom. It was just weird. Uh, But I liked the other two. And these movies made the quest for knowing and understanding history and uncovering the mysterious relics of the past so interesting to me. And, and I'll never forget that scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark when Indy and his Egyptian friend finally pieced together all of those clues of where the, the Ark is, is, is resting. And uh, they discover that place uh, where the Ark of the Covenant is in that crypt in Egypt. And you guys remember that scene where after, it seems, seems like hours where they're searching and going through all these different places, they finally grab these poles and they lift the Ark of the Covenant out of this box that it was in. What a cool scene. I remember just like, as a kid, like, wait, that's what the Ark means? Raiders of the Lost Ark? They're talking about the Ark of the Covenant? I was, I was slow. I watched the whole rest of the movie. I was like, oh, it was about the Ark of the Covenant. But anyway, what a cool scene. It, 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 it created in me a desire to seek something out. And Paul is saying here that having become united with Christ in His death and resurrection... You Colossians must be on an ongoing quest to discover and understand the realm above. It should be your strong desire to look and behave more like citizens of that place where Jesus is. The Christian life in the here and now is a life of seeking after that which we strongly desire. And the more we find of Christ, the more our appetite for the things above grows. And our affinity for the flavors of this earth diminish. 
The Christian life is one that has received a taste of heaven. We've received that taste through coming to know Jesus. And we grow less and less satisfied with this, what this world has to offer. Sin is that which satisfies the world. It satisfies the citizens of this earth. And while it may still tempt us, and it, sometimes it may even overpower us, us citizens of heaven in this life, it's never going to satisfy us. If you belong to Christ, you will want something more than this world and its infatuation with sin has to offer. You will not sense your Savior's smile upon your life unless you are seeking after Him. Unless you're seeking after the things above. And that leads us to our next spiritual reality. The second one. As Christians, we have a new home. A new home. And it's described as where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In verse 1. And in verse 3 it says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. The spiritual reality for the lives of those united to Jesus is that their ultimate life and reality is not this physical world in which we live. The world that we apprehend with our five senses. It's not our ultimate reality. There's a greater, there's a more glorious, there's a more permanent place that we belong. A more real domain that we will ultimately inhabit. It's the realm above where Christ is. Where our lives are hidden with Him in God. Philippians 3.20 echoes this same thing. It says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 4-6, God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Our true home is not here. Proverbs 15.24 says, The path of life leads upward for the wise, that he may keep away from Sheol below. Psalm 16.11 says, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Psalm 73.24-26 says, With your counsel you will guide me, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. As Christians, we have a new quest for the things above because we have a new home there with Jesus. It's the place that He's preparing for us. As it says in John chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. You see, a Christian is a pilgrim in this life. We're just passing through on a quest toward our eternal home. Just like the patriarchs in Hebrews 11. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they're seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. 
Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We're pilgrims passing through because our home is ultimately not here. In the books of the Lord of the Rings, when Frodo and Sam are on their quest to Mordor to destroy the Ring of Power, the book is long in displaying how they endure hardships and danger and they traverse through their countryside through field and valley, and then through deep woods, and then through mountainous terrain, through maze-like rocky crags. Time and again, Samwise would encourage Frodo, who was the ring bearer, who would have given up if it wasn't for Sam. He would encourage him with comforting images of their home and their lives in the Shire. The thought of getting to go back there propelled them forward in their quest. You know, it doesn't take long for us in life to begin to develop nostalgic memories of home. I remember when the summer after my freshman year in college, I helped lead a group of high school students out to Minnesota for a week of fun at a a young life camp out there called Castaway. And the bus ride out there was extremely long. It was like 24 hours, full 24 hours. And the week of camp was physically and emotionally exhausting. And the adventure of it all was amazing. And then the ride back home was also another extremely long, 24 full hours. And when our bus arrived back at at Hamilton High School, I couldn't wait to get in my car and drive the next 20 minutes to get home. Have you ever had a feeling like that where you just can't... Eddie just talked about it. He's so glad to be back home. We can wax nostalgic about our home. And I, I did then. I, it's, a, it's a vivid memory. I remember it. It was a late evening in July, and the sun was beginning to set. And I remember the corn growing out in Ross for some reason. As I drove home, uh, I remember the, the, the golden fronds at the top of the plants. They were beginning to top. And the sun was setting, and it just seemed like gold on the top of that corn. As I drove down Lehigh Road and, and School Road and I eventually turned right onto Morgan Ross Road as my anticipation built to finally arrive back home. And these nostalgic memories that we have, they're comfortable to us. We recall being comfortable there at home. We recall being protected at home. We recall being surrounded by only those that love us and seek our well-being And we can be who we truly are when we're at home. We don't have to change our face when we're at home. All of us long for a place, a home like that, don't we? In this life, we never truly have it. We never truly have this home. And our nostalgic memories don't really comport with the reality of what we went through. In fact, some of you remember bad memories of home. When you say the word home, you don't conjure up blessed memories as a lot of us do. But as good as it can be here on earth, it's nothing compared to our home in heaven, which is being prepared by the Lord Jesus for you. And He loves us beyond anything we can comprehend. Just envision what it is He's preparing for you. This was Paul's aim in writing this way to the Colossians. And by extension to all of us, you know, who, who have been united to Christ, who read his letter here. He wants to create in us a longing for our ultimate home with Jesus, the home above in heaven. 
I remember re- uh, singing a song as a kid in the church that I grew up in called How Beautiful Heaven Must Be, and it was written by A.S. Bridgewater. And the lyrics read as follows. We read of a place that's called heaven. It's made for the pure and the free. These truths in God's word he hath given. How beautiful heaven must be. In heaven, no drooping nor pining, no wishing for elsewhere to be. God's light is forever there shining. How beautiful heaven must be. Pure waters of life there are flowing, and all who will drink may be free. Rare jewels of splendor are glowing. How beautiful heaven must be. The angels so sweetly are singing up there by the beautiful sea. Sweet chords from their golden harps are ringing. How beautiful heaven must be. How beautiful heaven must be. Sweet home of the happy and free. Fair haven of rest for the weary. How beautiful heaven must be. Brothers and sisters, if you are united to Christ, the scripture teaches you that you have a home like this in heaven. And you'll go there one day. And the gathering and the reunion there will be unlike anything that you could ever experience here. Set your desire on that place. Seek after this home above. This leads us to our third spiritual reality, which is our new mind. In verse 2, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. This past Monday was the celebration of the newly federalized holiday, Juneteenth. And Juneteenth, I had to look it up not that long ago, it commemorates the emancipation of enslaved African Americans in the South. And the date of that holiday corresponds with an order given by Major General Gordon Granger with a proclamation that he made in Galveston, Texas on June the 19th, hence Juneteenth, 1865. And his proclamation was that the war had ended and all the slaves were free. And the Union soldiers thereafter went from plantation to plantation ordering the farm owners to inform their slaves that they were now just as free as their masters. And of course there was celebration that followed and great excitement and great joy. Booker T. Washington in his writings, recounts this monumental memory in his early life. But after the initial excitement wore off, the potential of the new reality never really set in for many of the freed slaves. Substantial numbers of the freed slaves stayed with their masters on the plantations, believe it or not. And they became tenement farmers, paying rent to the landowner as sharecroppers with conditions that were not much improved from what they had known as slaves. Others found the courage to leave, but then they just hired themselves out to another farmer, doing the same work that they'd always done, just on a different property. Again, the potential of the new reality of their being free did not settle in their minds, and they never experienced the benefit of freedom. But for others, it did. And they prospered in ways that they could have never dreamed of up until that fateful day when they were declared free. And again, the life and the writings of Booker T. Washington attest to this realized potential of this new freedom. 
And I see a timely parallel, actually, for many Christians in this illustration. Because remember, chapter 3 in Colossians is about overcoming and being liberated from sin. We're talking about the glorious death of sin. And sadly, many Christians today don't live like they've been freed from their old slave master, sin. They believed the gospel, but they saw no change to their external life situation and the circumstances of their lives. And the initial excitement of salvation has worn off and they've fallen back into their old patterns of living since they knew nothing else. What is needed for you, Christian, if this is a description of your life, is for you to let the potential of the new reality of your freedom settle into your mind. Colossians 3.1, Colossians 2.12-13, Romans 6.6-7, 6, 6 these verses are your emancipation proclamation. Romans 6, knowing this, that your old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are free. You're free. Let the matter be settled in your mind. You are free. And this is where the battle begins. Once we have been freed, it's in our minds. Notice how Paul treats the mind in this verse. He treats the mind as subservient to the will. Do you hear that? Paul treats the mind as subservient to the will. In other words, those who are in Christ have authority over their thoughts. Do you hear that? Do you see that in the text? Those who are in Christ have authority over their thoughts. This is echoed elsewhere. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. 2 Corinthians 10.5 echoes the same sentiment. We're destroying speculations and lofty, every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Romans 8, 4-6, through six, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. I hope you're hearing this because this is big. This is big. We have authority over our thoughts. We are responsible for our thoughts. We're not just forever addicted, forever enslaved to habits that can never be broken. So often in our, our current culture, a person's sinful behaviors and inclinations are treated as a part of their immutable genetic makeup. People are their sin, according to our culture. They are just subservient to the chemical and electrical reactions in their nervous systems, and their brains are just passive globs of matter that respond to stimuli 
apprehended through their senses. People can't help their feelings. They can't help their thoughts. They can't help that these thoughts pop into their minds. It's just who they are. We hear this all the time, don't we? This is just who I am. Christian, this is not what the Bible teaches. Paul says you have the ability to set your mind. Set your mind on the things above. And that verb is present tense and active, meaning it's your ongoing responsibility. And this setting of the mind is two things. For one, it's necessary. It's necessary for you to set your mind. You should know that it's necessary. If you want to live a life victorious in your Christian life, a life victorious over sin, you must settle in your mind that your quest and your mission in this life is to seek the things above. You're to set all your hopes on that home that's awaiting you and that Jesus who is taking you there. Set your mind on that. It's necessary. The second thing you need to know about this setting of the mind is that it's possible. Again, we live like it's not possible. Like our minds are just these these passive globs of matter that respond to stimuli. That's not true. You must believe this, that it's possible. You can have victory in your life, and it starts with taking control of your mind by the power of the Spirit and setting it steadfastly on the things above and not on the things of this earth. Douglas Moo says, this is possible because our union with Christ severs us from the tyranny of the powers of this world and provides us with all the power needed to live a new life. So I ask you, do you believe this today? That it's possible. That you can set your mind. That you have authority over your thoughts. Your conversion happened by faith in the working of God, as it says in chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. And you will grow and mature and overcome by this same faith. Believe afresh in the promise of God that you are free. You are free by the proclamation of God and the old slave master has no authority over you. He may tempt you, he may intimidate you, but he can't touch you. Realize the potential of your freedom and begin to renew your mind through deep study of God's Word, through relying on the Spirit in in prayer, through a change in your mental diet. What junk food are you feeding your mind? Probably a lot, if you're anything like me. There's a whole lot of things I could eliminate from what I feed my mind on. Renew your mind through fellowship with others who are seeking the things above so that you can feed off of one another and encourage one another. Pursue hard after God. Seek and you will find. And the remnants of unbelief that linger, bring those to the Lord's attention. Let Him know. Let Him know. Be like the man who sought to have his son delivered from demonic possession. Back in Mark chapter 9, he said to Jesus, Lord, if you are able, please heal him. And what did Jesus say? He said, if you can... All things are possible to him who believes. And the man cried out, Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. All of us are plagued by a vacillation in our mood, vacillation in our attention span. All of us are plagued with that. Those things do not mitigate 
or do not nullify what the Word says about the ability we have to set our minds. And we can grow in this. Again, it's a process. It's not immediate. Sanctification begins when we're saved and it doesn't end until we're glorified with Jesus. All right, let me move on. So that was the the third new reality that we live in. But the fourth spiritual reality in this passage is this, is that we have a new life. We have a new life. Chapter 3, verse 3 and verse 4, your life is hidden with Christ, Christ who is your life. Those who are united to Christ have a, Christ have a whole new life, a resurrected life. Paul describes this life in two ways. First of all, it's a hidden life. And this hidden life has two senses in which it is hidden. It's hidden in the sense of being preserved or safeguarded. And this is certainly the case. Christ preserves the salvation of those that He has bought. He will not lose you. He will not let you be snatched away by any external force. You are protected in Him. He is responsible and He is a capable Savior. He does not begin a thing that He does not finish. And He is impeccable in keeping His promises. Your new and eternal life is in safekeeping with Jesus. Your life is hidden with Him. But your new life is also hidden in the sense that it's not yet visible to those around you. MacArthur says the following, Believers are concealed from the world. Unbelievers are unable to grasp the full import of the believer's new life. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Because of this inability to see, you appear as strange to the world around you. Why do you not desire the same things that they do? Why are you not on a quest for the same things that they are? Why don't you speak and think and act as they do? Why is your life so peculiar? And if they're perceptive, and if you're obedient, they may ask things like, why are you so kind? Why do you have such peace? Why are you so happy and not worried? Wouldn't it be great if if folks without said those kind of things about us? I remember when I was in high school, and I was a new Christian, and I remember just the joy just overflowing in my life. And I remember I was at work one time on break at IGA in the upstairs break room. And this one girl that I went to school with named Kathy, who was constantly sort of an emo, depressive type person. She, she and I were talking up in the break room one, one day and she goes, why, Eric, why are you so happy? You're happy all the time. And it was an opportunity. Honestly, Kathy, it's, it's Jesus. Jesus gives me joy and, and, uh, and he saved me. I don't recall the whole conversation, but I just remember it was one of those, op- those opportunities I had just because I acted differently in a way that was compelling to another, it sort of revealed what was hidden inside my relationship with Christ. And I had an opportunity to testify to that. You know, in, in Colossians, those false teachers that were there, they couldn't quite grasp this truth either. They couldn't see it either. It was hidden from them. Um, the Colossians had already gained transcendent spiritual knowledge and life. And these false teachers didn't see that. They thought there was something else that was needed. And the reality of it is, though, 
that our new life in Christ is in some ways even hidden from ourselves. Maybe what I just shared with you about setting your mind and, and continually seeking has opened your mind to something that you hadn't thought about before. Perhaps it's a new revelation to you that you have this authority over your thinking. So, similar though to the previous spiritual reality, realizing the potential of a new mind, we often, even as believers, don't grasp the fact that our new life in Christ is beginning to manifest itself, even in the here and now. The reality of our new life is in some ways even hidden from us. But there's a second way that this new life uh, is described by Paul. One, it was hidden, right? And there were two aspects of how it's hidden. And the second, the second description he gives of this new life is that he says Christ is our life in verse 4. Jesus doesn't just give you life. He gives you his own life. Such that it's correct to say that Jesus is your life. He is your life. Galatians 2.20 says the same thing. I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. 2 Corinthians 4.10 Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Christ is our life. Philippians 1.21 For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Christ is your life. Christians are no longer sustained by the things of this world. The stuff of earth holds some appeal still, but it's not the source from which our lives endure. Jesus is the source of our life. Man shall not live on bread alone, but but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Matthew 4.4 And the reality of this new life, the embodiment of our new life's source, while it is a reality in the present, will one day in the future be fully realized in a glorious way. Let's move on to the final part of the sermon, which is our future glory. Which is verse 4, when Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. In In this verse, Paul refers to the future return of Jesus. The revealing in Colossians 3.4 is the same as the revelation at the end of our Bibles. It's not the same Greek word, but it conveys the same end times events. This is what Paul's talking about. Jesus will return. This is one of our great hopes as Christians. That rescue is really coming. Jesus is really coming back. And we'll perceive Him with our senses again. Not just spiritual eyes. At His coming, it'll be obvious. It'll be visible why your life was so different. The reasons Christians have in their values and in their outlooks and for serving God and others, and others it's going to be clear when He returns. At His revealing, it's, it's also going to be a vindication of those who kept seeking and setting their minds on the things above. The glory of Christ is going to captivate the minds of unbelievers and believers alike. Unbelievers will finally acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord and that He was all along. 
And they'll know that they based their lives on the wrong principles. And that those who followed Christ built their lives correctly. It'll all be revealed. Until then, though, your life remains hidden. You remain misunderstood. Sometimes you remain belittled. Sometimes you're attacked or persecuted. Those apart from Christ may attack the church, may attack Christians, but that's going to change someday. For just a little while longer, we must endure. Besides speaking of the revealing of Jesus and His glory, though, Paul's also speaking in this verse of the revealing of us with Him. Do you catch that? Us with Him in glory. Jesus will glorify His people. And this is echoed in Romans 8. He wants to glorify you because your, glorif- your glorification will magnify His own glory. And guys, I don't think we think about this enough. Here's something that we need to set our minds on. We're going to be miraculously and marvelously transformed when Christ returns. Creation itself longs for us to be revealed in this way as the sons of God. Romans 8.19 says, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Same word. This is what Paul's talking about. 1 John 3.2 echoes the same thing, the same promise. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. But we know that when He appears, we will be like Him. Because we will see Him just as He is. 1 Corinthians 15, 51-52 teaches the same thing. I tell you a mystery, Paul says. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed or transformed In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. It's going to happen. 1 Thessalonians 4, talking about the catching away of the saints or the rapture, describes the same thing that Paul is talking about here. Revelation 19.14 describes Christ's glorious return. And it describes the armies of heaven that are clothed in robes of pure white following after Jesus. The armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following Him on white horses. That's us, guys. That's us. We return with Jesus, just like it says here in Colossians. Whether in a resurrected body after we've died, or in a raptured body that's been transformed before we have to die, we are still going to come with Him. And that glory that He has, He will share with us. The world will see Jesus and those of us who are on His side, and they will marvel and they will shudder at the glory that they behold. You will look at your friends from church who made it, and you're going to be blown away. You're going to be just blown away at what you see, how they have been transformed. They'll be fitted with their eternal bodies and you with yours, You'll be forever reigning with Jesus in His glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If the thought of this doesn't cause you to expend all of your energy to keep seeking the things above and to set your mind on the things above, I don't know what will think on these things. 
you will return with him in glory. You will be revealed with him in glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the encouragement of these, these four short verses. Father, what, simple, what a simple message it is. We need to seek this, the things above. We need to realize that our home is above with you. We need to new, realize that our, our new life comes from you and, and is, you are our life, Lord Jesus. These are simple things to understand but difficult to, to, to grasp the full import of these, especially the one where we can set our minds and that we're commanded to set our minds on the things above. Lord God, I pray that you would uh, take my meager efforts this morning and sharing your word and teaching your word, God. And um, Lord, I pray that you would just um, uh, amplify and, um, and multiply the efforts that I've made. May your word bear fruit in our lives in drawing us closer to you and causing us to set our hearts and our minds more fully on the things above. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand, if you will, for the benediction. You have been raised with Christ. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Therefore, keep seeking the things that are above because Christ is there and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He is God's power and glory. He is over all things in heaven and on earth. Set your mind on him. Set your mind on the things that are above. And look forward to the day when the one who is our life is revealed in heaven. Depart in his peace. Amen.